Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can your dog alert you to the presence of aliens? Why are animals sensitive to UFOs and other paranormal phenomena? Can this harm your pet's health? Hello and welcome to the 886th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Coming to you from WON, AM, and FM here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island uh, on the Paranormal Radio app and from TalkStream Live uh, and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those mammalian questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today uh, we uh, bring you a familiar guest on an unusual subject, and if you'd like to join us on the air, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240, that is from anywhere. Or you can um, get to us via various social media platforms, or you can email email Paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Coming to us via Skype today is Linda Zimmerman, a for- <coughs> excuse me, a former. Res- <coughs> you, you, do you need some water, Dad? No, I got iced tea. That's uh, part of what's <laughs> doing it. Uh, a former research scientist and the author of over thirty books, a popular speaker, and we've heard of her ourselves. She's terrific. Uh, Linda has made many appearances on television and radio. Uh, Linda has starred in an award-winning documentary based on her book, In the Night Sky. Uh, There's an IMDb listing on that. Uh, She has received honors and awards for her books on American history. And in 2011, she won the Silver Medal for for Humor for, quote, Bad Science uh, in the Independent Publishers Awards. Uh, Linda has lectured at the Smithsonian, West Point, and Gettysburg, as well as at national conventions, universities, and Mensa events. Astronomy and the space program are also uh, favorite topics for her books, articles, and lectures. Her recent book, Animal Reactions to UFOs, is the subject of our discussion today. Linda's website, go to zim.com, like that, go to zim.com. Right. So, Linda Zimmerman, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. Wonderful to be back. Oh, it's great Great to have you on with us. And I, and I, I feel like it's been a long time, but it probably hasn't. Uh, so I guess we'll just hop right into it. So how and why do animals react to UFOs? How they react is generally in fear. Um, they try to get away from whatever this is. And why it happens, that's what the next hour is going to be all about. <laughs> mm. Okay. So are there, I guess, you know, the first sort of question is, have, have there been any, any sort of findings of the opposite reaction, right? Any, anything that's, you know, excitement or something that shows some sort of positive response rather than a negative? Very few. Um, I call them the attraction reaction cases where dogs, cats seem eager to get to a, um, uh, some sort of craft or lights, but that is, I would say less than 1% of the cases. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? It's like uh, near-death experiences. Some people have terrible ones. Yeah, right. But very few, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking yeah. with Doug Hycheck last week, um, and uh, he, he made a really interesting... He was telling us about his experiences, and I, I caught... Now that, we're, now that we're talking about animal reactions, he was mentioning um, an experience he had, and he was talking about his two cats, and, you know, they were... You know, it was, it was, I think it was over the course of a day, he experienced a couple of, uh, you know, in, interesting phenomena. And he mentioned his cats were, you know, just freaking out. And I, I wanted to, to circle back to it, and we just didn't have a chance. And I, I think it's, it's interesting that, um, 
you know, uh, given your experiences with animals and cases, Dad, and I guess my my own, really, you know, it's it's interesting that the phenomena affects them so much. Do you, do you have? Well, you know, I guess Linda, what's what's sort of a, a standout example of of something that's drastically affected, you know, anyone anyone's pets, any animals, uh, other than cows? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's um, a case in uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It was a fairly uh, famous case in, back in 92 where they were seeing massive triangles and boomerangs very similar to the Hudson Valley wave. And they said dogs in the area in the ha- were running frantically around houses, hiding under uh, beds. Um, rabbits were were terrified. Some people had some pet parrots. I have never owned a parrot, but apparently when they fluff up their feathers and jump around, they're very agitated. Uh, cats were were going crazy, and there was a sound to these craft. When they were directly overhead, there was a, a rumbling sound, hmm. but these animals reacted far before humans could hear the sound and they were traumatized most of them for one solid week afterwards that's that's fairly dramatic this is not you know i often say on 4th of july your neighbor sets off a firecracker your dog jumps in the air and and 10 minutes later he's okay whatever is happening during these events um can last for weeks sometimes even longer and one important aspect of that case, there was one dog that the owner said had no reaction, and that dog happened to be deaf. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Now, we have a cousin whose dog is deaf, uh, but she has several dogs, and they was, <clears throat> Ben, you remember going uh, over to their uh, lake house on the 4th of July in Connecticut. Oh, yes. And uh, <laughs> everybody around the lake would be firing illegal fireworks because uh, two of them were state police officers. One was one was a state uh, senator, so n- nobody bothered them. And it so was, we, got uh, the, we got the good stuff. Far, be- far better than any municipal fireworks display I've ever seen. But anyway, that would happen every year. And the, the, they would have to leave the, the dog who could hear home. The deaf one, you know, was happy as a clam. You know, he couldn't hear anything. But one wonders, um, could there be some other cause of this? And then, then I guess it's kind of a lame question because probably not. When a helicopter goes over, when any, any loud noise occurs, uh, it doesn't have to be fireworks or a jet plane or something, uh, animals do tend to react in a negative manner. Can you comment on... Uh, uh, the 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 possibility there may be some other cause other than uh, UFOs or whatever. Oh, that there could be some other cause other than UFOs. Um, basically, the cases I've been working on have cited UFOs in them. So um, I think we can draw a correlation there. There was a couple of cases in the 1880s in England where, in one case. 22 square miles of sheep started reacting in panic and running all over the place. I suspect that might have been some sort of seismic activity or maybe um, a a bolide coming in and bursting, you know, kind of a Chelyabinsk type uh, Mm. meteor exploding. And because that size area affected um, seems to be needing a rather glo- you know, large-ranging cause. Okay. 
let's uh, before we continue, and uh, that's a fascinating and. and I don't know, you must have been talking about Devon, because we have family there, and if I never see another sheep, it'll be too soon. But, <laughs> but uh, mm. I, I, they stampede, you're done for. But in any case, uh, Ben has uh, some questions from a listener, our very uh, uh, loyal listener. Here I go with the dog analogies again. Uh, listener in South America, uh, Peter in Bogota. And uh, what does Peter have to ask Linda this week? I'll, event, I'll, I'll think of another another adjective or, yeah, or a, adverb for for Peter. Um, Peter the 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 Peter the perceptive. There we go. Yes. Um, who always writes us wonderful questions, and he has He's a like couple a questions. Like a medieval monarch. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Peter writes to us. Um, Please ask Linda. Could there be a possible connection between human uh, humans who suffer the equally mysterious hum phenomena? And animal reactions to UFOs, a sensitivity that a few people have uh, that could be similar to animal sensitivity. Um, are we talking about people in certain parts of the country or world that are hearing a constant humming? Is uh, I, it seems it seems pretty open to interpretation. So, <laughs> however yeah, you interpret uh, the question, I, I interpret that like the the Taos hum or the, the right. one okay. that our listeners in Detroit kept. Reporting to us in Windsor, Ontario. I, I don't believe they mean. I don't believe he means tinnitus. If that's if that's what we're we're going no, no, for. No, no. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, I have not heard with something like the Taos hum what the animals are doing. That's that is absolutely something I'm going to look into because clearly their range of hearing. For example, we we hear. From about 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz when we're young and have mm. not, no, don't have diminished hearing yet. Um, dogs hear up to 45,000 hertz. Cats, 75 to 80,000. Um, and, you know, then we have the infrasound as well, which may be part of that hum. Uh, pigeons can hear down to 0.5 hertz. I would be very curious to see what the birds and wildlife are doing in these areas with mm. the with the constant humming. Just uh, to uh, give the listeners some background, if you don't know what, the, what we're talking about, the hums the, these are uh, rather um, esoteric uh, sounds that that do occur in the environment, and everybody will hear them in a certain area, but nobody really knows where they're coming from. The Taos hum kind of sounds like like a, a a truck or a diesel truck or locomotive kind of uh, idling at, at quite a distance away, but you can still hear it. So no one really knows what this is. Uh, the the, uh, the most plausible explanation, in my opinion, is it may, it may have a seismic component to it, uh, earth sounds, that sort of thing. So that's what we're talking about. So we have a second question from Peter, if you would, Ben. Sure. Uh, Peter also writes, Second, although we consider animal reactions to UFOs and cattle mutilations separate, could there be evidence that extraterrestrials are not responsible for mutilations contrary to the theory uh, some have uh, wanted us to believe? For example, do the characteristic uh, fear reactions in, in animals and UFO events uh, precede mutilation incidents? Uh, if UFOs are responsible, why not? Somebody had suggested that long ago that perhaps these extreme reactions by animals of fear and panic is because they historically have learned you hear this sound, you may get hurt. Um, I, I found that very interesting that there probably is a, a connection. Um, 
I have heard of cases where animals, uh, there was uh, horses, polo ponies, which I imagine are quite pricey horses, were going crazy in their stalls. Uh, the caretaker comes to find out what's going on. There's a large red, reddish object in the sky, and one of the horses has a deep five-inch incision in its hindquarter that is not bleeding. They can't figure out how this happens because if you ever have horses, you don't put sharp, pointy objects in their stalls for no, them to get I had hurt on. Um, so there was a case, not quite a full-blown mutilation, but certainly we have the UFO, we have the animals reacting in fear, and at least a perplexing injury to one of them. Bizarre, right? You know, I've, as um, as a, as a pet owner, um, it's it's interesting, you know, being in this field and kind of observing your pets. Mm. Um, I. Uh, I, I kind of had the the misfortune of having to to move into my mother in law's place after she passed away a few years ago. Um, we have since sold it, but at the time, uh, my my wife and I noticed that there was some kind of like weird stuff going on. It, it was it was not not very positive, not very good, and uh, not extraterrestrial related. At least not in the sense that we understand it. Maybe I don't know, but um, I remember. Uh, our our cat at the time, Clementine, she was I think like a year and a half, and so you know we you know we brought her in and you know every night we kind of just take her into our our room and you know close the door, kind of close ourselves off from the rest of the house because every night she would run up and down the halls and mm-hmm. it was almost like she was chasing something. There was one night in particular um, where uh, we we came back from going out to eat. And um, we were we were having our house worked on, and I guess the painters left all the windows open in our downstairs. And she's an outdoor cat, and there's coyotes in the area. So we were like, mm-hmm. oh well, you know, we don't want we don't want her to run away. So we freaked out because we thought, okay, the door to our room's open because we kept her in our room. And uh, you know, like, oh geez, the door's open. You know, cat's gone. You know, where where's the cat? So we were running around outside, and you know, she always runs to the treat jar. So we were shaking the treat jar trying to find her. And you know, I. I, I happened to to come back inside uh, to to look for the treat jar, and I was shaking it, and I heard like a very very quiet meow, and I was like, "Where where is that coming from?" And so we uh, you know we were running around, couldn't find it, and then went back inside, and I kept hearing it, and we went upstairs, and turned out she was in my mother in law's room, but when we tried to open the door, it was barricaded from the other side. Now keep in mind, it was the, it's the second floor of the house. Um, the only way to get to it is if you take a ladder, climb above the garage, and and climb in through a window which was locked, and and you'd have to you know put the cat there, take all the luggage that was in all of the, the closets, push it up against the door, and then leave the cat in there. So we were we were just like, I think we kind of dismissed it at the time because we were just like ah we just can't think about this right now, yeah. but every every. <laughs> Every, but like the cat was fine, you know, she wasn't freaking out. She just was kind of sitting on the bed, totally okay with it. And you know, we just kind of chalked it up as okay. Well, that's weird. Let's just not address it right now because we just don't have the capacity to address it. But you know, the more I kind of thought about it, you know, I, I, I you know, cats and dogs, they you know, they have a bunch of energy and they run around and do whatever. And you know, my my cats now that we have two cats, they beat the crap out of each other, and that's just kind of <laughs> what they do. 
But, you know, at the time, you know, she would run up and down the halls and it was almost like she was chasing something. So it was, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, my, my question is kind of leading us to this, this point. It, it's interesting that the reaction to UFOs is so drastically different to what my, my dad and I experience in the paranormal, right? You know, some, you know, I, I don't know if that's always the case, right? With the dog that lost it, it was losing its hair. From, no, well, it, it depends. Right, yeah. But the, the interesting thing is, you know, she didn't seem afraid. She just kind of was like, eh, whatever about it. You know, I, I don't know if it, it comes down to each individual animal, but, you know, that, that kind of, but the instinctual reaction, right? You know, for whatever reason, they share a lot of similar traits. Like anyone who's a cat owner would know, you know, if you have indoor cats and they see birds, they start chirping at them. And, you know, the, you don't really know where they learn that from. They just kind of do it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that the reactions are just so drastically different. And, you know, have you, have you ever seen or heard or anything where it's like, you know, the animals, you know, that 1%, how do they react? Yeah, um, as I said, a very few, uh, just a couple of cases, they actually seem drawn to it. But there's also what I call the non-reaction reaction, mm. where they are unnaturally calm. Um, there was a case in uh, South, uh, excuse me, in Europe, where there were, they called them very fierce dogs. But during the entire sighting of this UFO, they just sat there calmly and and looked at this object. And apparently these dogs never sat calmly and looked at anything <laughs> um, in their environment. Uh, there are many cases where, well, let's go to the famous Delphos, Kansas case. And back in 71, Ronnie Johnson and his dog Snowball, he's, he's initially alerted to this rumbling mushroom-shaped craft because the sheep are going crazy and Snowball is barking. They run outside to witness this craft very close by and Snowball. Now, this is his domain. He would, you know, normally protect his domain. He just sits there quietly looking at the craft for all those long minutes. It's I, I, sometimes there seems to be an actual paralyzing force um, where they can't move. The human witnesses can't move. But other times, there is a tranquilizing force. I've come across a couple of these with rectangles in particular, where the human witnesses describe a sense of calm and even euphoria, and the dogs, cats, or whatever seem to be the same. They're, they're just very mellow, like, wow, look at that. Um, so that is certainly a, an aspect of this whole field. So I guess well, I guess there is a precedent, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, another thing that, that might come to mind, and maybe you'd want to comment on this when it comes to uh, wild animals, uh, although this is in the context of, of the presence of, of Bigfoot, uh, according to witnesses, uh, particularly uh, thinking of two cases in the uh, what we refer to as the Panther Rock Triangle case in Kentucky. And at one point there were, as it was, it were witnesses who saw deer in complete terror running up this hillside and a Bigfoot apparently right after them. And then uh, not long after that, the same year, there was a uh, Bigfoot walking uh, calmly through a herd of deer who couldn't care less. So, Mm. And we would ask, you know, why were they afraid in one case and not in the other? And the the idea was, well, maybe they couldn't see it. 
in the second case, or maybe there was a different feel or something to it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, now, albeit that's about Bigfoot, but what about UFOs? I mean, do you think there could be a similar uh, ethos there somehow that they uh, uh, will... Uh, be able to control your feelings uh, or the feelings of animals uh, in the area? I mean, what say you? Uh, definitely. Um, there just seems to be some controlling force. There was a great case in New Zealand where I, I'm probably not going to say this correctly, Ohinapanaka. Um, just don't try and to spell it. Yes, no. <laughs> Somewhere in New Zealand mm. where... Um, guy was working on a sheep ranch and a uh, cattle ranch and he's uh, coming in for the evening and he's on horseback he has four dogs the dogs are you know running around barking they're herding dogs very high energy they stop it's like they're paralyzed his horse stops and i love this he said the horse's mane stood straight up wow i've i've never heard that and then he re- his horse stops, he realizes he's paralyzed, and there's this dark cone-shaped craft that he said is moving through the valley towards them, and then took off at an extremely high rate of speed. Once it left the area, dogs started jumping around barking, the horse moved again, he could move. So... Um, if you wanted to, if you only knew about the human witness, you could say he was paralyzed in fear. Well, the dogs probably didn't even see it initially. And to me, when you have dogs, a horse, and a human all paralyzed, I think there's something that the UFO is generating to cause that. Yeah. As a rule, how close uh, in proximity would you say that a UFO has to be for an animal to react. I have a case from uh, Congers, New York, from 1983, where all the dogs in the neighborhood, some, some kids were, well, young adults were hanging out near a lake, having a good time one summer evening. They, I think they were saying that all the dogs were going out of their skull, barking. Just They're like, what is going on? And it was probably a full 10 minutes before they saw this craft come into view, um, kind of a snake-like series of lights came above them and took off. So in that case, it had to be at least a mile or two miles away when these animals were start. If, If the craft maintained its speed and course, it was miles and the animals, the dogs in particular, were still reacting. Okay. Let's look at the different <clears throat> different reactions between close encounters of the maybe the first, second, and third kinds. All right. Um, the presence of a UFO is one thing, but uh, people, of course, report very frequently being abducted or at least having the presence of what they perceive as extraterrestrials or aliens uh, in their homes bedrooms or otherwise are there different animal reactions to those those situations where there there are actual uh, supposed aliens present in a home as opposed to just in a craft you know zipping over at a thousand miles an hour Mm -hmm. there was an interesting case in sherbrooke ontario excuse me 
Quebec. Sorry, Ontario. Sherbrooke, Quebec. Been a oh, long time there. Yeah. Oh, I, they would never let me back. <laughs> uh, beautiful <laughs> area. Um, and this woman sees uh, a light in the distance, and her dog is going crazy because someone is bark as uh, banging at their door. So she goes down. She sees the German Shepherd lunge for the door, as German Shepherds do, and then all of a sudden. It, it had a complete change, like a switch went off. It started whimpering and hid in a corner. Fortunately, she did not open the door. This dog sensed something. So she ran upstairs and she said there were these unbelievably shadowy-looking figures that were at her door, moved off, and then she said with blue-green lightning, she saw this disc-shaped craft take off. So here was a case that the whatever these were did not get in the house, but the dog was absolutely petrified of whatever they were. Yeah. Well, that's a good place, I guess, to take our mid-show break. Oh, geez, that time already, huh? Time flies and you're having fun. And uh, anyway, uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful and spooky Blackstone River Valley. With our great guest today, Linda Zimmerman, Zimmerman will be right back, so stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We're on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM, and we have our wonderful guest, Linda Zimmerman, today. We're going to continue our fascinating discussion about animal reactions to UFOs. Okay, have you noticed, Linda, at any point, different rea- different reactions from different species, you know, different species of animals reacting in different ways, or is it pretty much the same? I think it's pretty universal, Um between uh, wildlife, barnyard animals, domestic pets, they uh, predominantly have these reactions of fear and trying to escape whatever is causing these reactions. Okay. The uh, animals usually are pretty sharp when it comes to sensing danger. Do you feel there really is danger? Because you mentioned the poor horse with with the incision. Mm-hmm. Uh are, are they overreacting, do you think, or is there any way to tell? Or um, the sort of visceral reactions that they have, I and mean, what what would be the reason for that? Boy, that that is a loaded question. But I think, you know, when a German shepherd cowers in fear, he has a damn good reason for that, and we should respect that. Yeah. Um, many cases of guard dogs. There was a, a military base. I believe they had nuclear weapons, and they had some very vicious guard dogs um, lining this uh, bank of in the weapons area. And a UFO came over, and they were all absolutely terrified and cowering. And 
you know, Belgian Malinois and German Shepherds and, and other dogs like that trained to protect, um, they will they will fly over a car, you know, they will jump over a speeding car mm. to get at whatever it is their their goal is. And so something extreme is happening. And one of the things I think might be involved is electromagnetic fields because mm-hmm. animals have magnetoreception. And um, there was that, that study done several years ago where they... They studied thousands of dogs and found out when they're going to the bathroom, they want to aim north because they are comfortable aiming north. And even slight fluctuations in the magnetic field, they can sense it. Birds, you know, homing pigeons, they're they're seeing, they are literally seeing the magnetic fields like road maps in the sky. So if all of these animals are so attuned and then we know UFOs have EM effects, stalling cars, power outages, static on the radio. If they are coming in with some large, uh, potent electromagnetic field that is turning their framework upside down, I, I kind of think maybe it's like when we go on an amusement park ride and we're turned upside down and spun around and very disoriented is that's is that part of what's happening in these cases that the the normal framework in which all these animals exist is being spun around um just completely disorienting everything they know have uh, you ever run into examples of uh, reports of animals being abducted um a couple of times, for the most part, the cases I've been drawing upon were the, you know, just the animal reactions. But um, the I was looking into, um, I like to call it everyone's favorite cryptid, Mothman. Oh, and, yeah. you Love know, um, they were writing about how dogs were disappearing in the months before. Mm. And I said, you know, is this? some writer trying to, you know, hype up the case. So what I did is I did a newspaper search of lost and found for towns around that area during that time period. And wouldn't you know, um, dog missing for one week, dog, you know, the, the amount of missing pets, missing dogs just seemed extraordinary. So was that all part of, you know, UFOs were seen in addition to this creature? So this might be a case where animal abductions were absolutely part of the whole phenomenon. Well, we uh, have interviewed people who knew the family that owned the German Shepherd Bandit. Uh, And in Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, I believe it was the the night before the famous Mothman incident with the uh, the Scarberries and uh, their friends at the TNT area in West Virginia, outside uh, Point Pleasant. <clears throat> and this is this is this so-called Mothman case. The press gave uh, this creature the name that didn't know what else to call it. 
Uh, they, they were actually they were going to call it Batman, and uh, but the Batman series with, with uh, Adam West was starting, and they didn't want a giant lawsuit, so they uh, called it Mothman instead. That's how the name came about. But it was in the the uh, pr- primarily 1966, 67, and before and after there were things. And uh, <clears throat> at one point, uh, a, a dog on a farm. I can't remember the name of the family, but they were friends of the witnesses we interviewed. Uh, was uh, out there barking at this creature. And uh, whether it attacked uh, the creature, if it was a creature, uh, the dog disappeared and the body of a German shepherd was found some 80 miles away, I believe it was Route 9 uh, outside uh, Point Pleasant, uh, and uh, they, nobody really identified, or at least not that we're aware, identified that as bandit. But uh, that's a sort of a, a well-known example of an animal getting tangled up in these bizarre situations. So I guess anything really is, is possible. Uh, Aside from animal abductions, Linda, are there animals you're aware of who have been have had uh, health ill health effects mm. or uh, positive health effects? You know, from contact with UFOs or uh, any other situation of the kind we've been discussing. There was a case in uh, Uruguay in the 1970s where um, there was uh, they were farmer a rancher. And his generator went dead, and he said he saw this Saturn-like disk craft, uh, orange glowing. It descended to about 20 feet above the farmyard, and his dog, uh, Topo, uh, Topo, I don't know how, T-O-P-O. Topo Gigio. Topo, yes, uh, Topo Gigio, right. Uh, You need to be a certain age to know who that is. Oh, yes, uh, forget about (laughs) it, Ben. Yes, You're right. so Topo, uh, <laughs> Topo goes full tilt towards this craft in, in attack mode, and 15 feet from the craft, he suddenly stops, sits down, and starts howling. Hmm. Just completely uh, unbelievable. He's howling. The craft finally takes off. Well, uh, Topo stops eating. He never eats again, becomes extremely lethargic, and three days later, he's found dead on that same spot where he had stopped. They they bring it the body to the vet, and some the vet said something had severely heated his internal organs. Oh dear! And the heating was so bad, it melted the fat on his back. It liquefied it. Oh. Uh, ju- I, I, I'm such a dog lover. I even hate to bring up this Us case. Too. Yeah. Um, but how how extreme is that? Um, so this dog had to be in excruciating pain, but it's like something made it, you know paralyzed him to that spot. And again, whether that was deliberate to try to hurt the dog, or it was just the dog got too close and it was collateral damage. We can't really say, um, but that's probably the most extreme case of. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, this. Perhaps is inappropriate given the sad nature of that. But uh, I was wondering if you were going to say that the dog uh, was howling the five tones from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That would have been <laughs> that would have been something, but uh, perhaps not. Have you noticed that different kinds of craft would elicit? different reactions in the sense of more negative, less negative, or even positive from animals? 
I am so happy you asked that question because this, I think, is is an amazing aspect of this. Um, Joan Woodward was a MUFON investigator who wrote a really excellent report um, about 15 years ago on animal reactions. It's in the MUFON Symposium. Um, you can you can track that down. She had many many statistics. Really broke all this down. And there's one line in there where she said that the shape of the craft has no apparent effect on the reaction. And that I was like, wait, this is an aha moment because if orbs, cylinders, triangles, rectangles, you know, all these bizarre shaped craft all elicit the same reactions, to me that means they are these reactions are being caused by a similar technology. Which, you know, there's all these theories of how you know, the rectangles are this race of aliens and the triangles are this. But if everything over the course of generations, regardless of the location and the shape of the craft, are producing the same effects, I think that talks to a common cause. Okay. Now, getting outside of mammals and birds for a minute, and this may seem like a funny, funny question, but we ask it because Linda Moulton Howe, was on the show one time. She pointed out that there were not just cattle mutilations or mutilations of other animals, but also fish mutilations. Remember that, Ben? Oh, yes. Yeah, and there's some lake in Colorado, and, and, and there were fish all over the place. Now, you walk by any lake, and you're going to find maybe fish, but mm. so this was extreme, and certain organs were removed and this sort of thing from you know hundreds of fish. Uh, have you at any point run into... Uh, the reactions of marine creatures, maybe not just fish, to these things, because there, there's a lot of uh, tales of, of UFOs, USOs, you know, underwater UFOs, things of this kind. Uh, has that uh, crossed your path at any point? Yes, there are cases where fish are both repelled and attracted to UFOs hovering over the surface of the water. There's a case in Arizona, a man was camping near the uh, lakeside, and he sees this very bizarre UFO. He said it looked like uh, upright boards and things put together. Almost uh, imagine if a UFO could something look like a, a picket fence. Very bizarre. Hmm. But he said the fish all along the shoreline were ju- leaping out of the water. And he noticed he had a boat with, uh, he and his friends had some uh, fishing rods in the boat. He could hear the fishing rods vibrating against the side of the boat. Now, fish are extremely sensitive to vibrations. They have those lateral lines down their sides that um, are receptors for vibration and pressure. So I suspect that whatever this type of craft was, was causing vibrations that were agitating the fish and causing them to to leap out of the water. Oh. Um, so it's it is one of the hardest things to try to see fish and marine life um, reactions. The I, I'm just thinking of uh, 1897 in San Francisco with the mysterious airship wave. There were seals that were all 
sunning themselves on seal rock and one of these craft came by and they all took off into the into the water not quite the same as fish reactions but still um they didn't like whatever it was either well you've led right into my next question which is uh going into sort of the distant past and seeing reactions and you just you just gave an example of one the uh, airship scares, uh, particularly 1909 and then in the 1890s, mm. are, are of great interest. People say, well, it's just somebody, you know, a Jules Verne-like inventor who happened to have airships a little earlier than people really had them, you know, with any in any quantity. I mean, you could argue the, the perception of anything that was flying and had lights on it at the time, Very true. if all they read was Jules Verne. <laughs> right, well, yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, and uh, do you have any other examples from, from that period? Uh, that might that um, might be uh, similar to what you'd see today. Yes, there. Uh, I think it was the 1870s. I'd have to check, but I found some articles, a series of articles, where people were seeing what they were describing as a serpent in the sky, and so obviously a long cylindrical type craft moving odd. Well, anything should should not have been moving in the sky then. So there were. Um, cavalry exercises going and this was in texas and uh, nearby areas and uh, there was cavalry practice going on and this serpent-like craft came over the the parade field and the horses went wild they had they said they had to stop um the cavalry exercises because the horses all became unmanageable and there was also uh, an article about where horses were so spooked by this that were pulling a wagon, they overturned the wagon and, and killed the driver Dude. in their frenzy to get away. So we're talking well, you know, maybe 150 years ago with this still happening. Yeah. One wonders about um, the remote past, you know, the Romans reporting shields in the sky. You know, the, uh, I've never seen a report of... How the horses or whatever reacted, but I'm sure there may have been analogous uh, situations. Before we uh, burn up the hour here, Linda, tell us about your website, your books, uh, which there are 30 that I know of, uh, <laughs> a lot more than we've written, and uh, uh, where people can find out more. Sure. My website is gotozim.com, G-O-T-O-Z-I-M.com. If you're particularly interested in the UFO field, um, I have a Facebook page, Hudson Valley UFOs. Uh, all of my books are on Amazon. Many of them are in ebook formats that I couldn't even list. <laughs> there are so many ebook formats nowadays. Yeah. Um, and I'm always in search of the mysterious and strange. Um, I have a series of ghost books called The Ghost Investigator. There are 14 of them uh, because I have also, for about 25 years, been investigating haunted sites. Um, I'm also very, very interested in uh, stone, what I believe are ancient Native American stone sites. Particularly, I like to study the astronomical alignments, and there are a lot of solstice equinox um, al- alignments to these sites. I think they were ancient calendar ceremonial sites. So those are the those are the topics I'm most working on now. As well as I have to do a a, a quick mention. Um, 
I love science fiction movies of the 50s, so I do have a podcast called Science Friction Theater, <laughs> which um, kind of makes fun of that whole genre, and I, I come up with a different monster or an, uh, protagon- antagonist to destroy the town of Stony Point, New York, every, <laughs> every episode. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. That's a nice town. <laughs> but it is, but that's where the radio station is. Um, oh, yeah. So I chose to uh, make that my victim. Mm. Well, we'll have to see how we can destroy one socket. Uh, well, it was a really <laughs> fascinating trend in uh, early 50s monster movies that kind of followed through with um, disaster films in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, where uh, the monster was the sort of the um, the counterpart to whatever the main problem was with the protagonist so if there was like some sort of personal issue the monster was a representation of that issue which is why you never really saw the monster to the last 15 minutes of the movie (laughs) or it could be because their budgets were non-existent (laughs) now ben uh, did you want to have the last word uh, because you have a degree in sound uh, design and audio engineering so (laughs) that is true So um, no, it, it is really interesting, right? You know, I, I'm I, I really like that you pointed out, Linda, that you know animals do have a ha, their dynamic range is is much larger than ours, and especially since ours, you know, by the time we're even in our teen years, it's diminished so much, you know, because our our ears really do take a beating. What'd you say? No. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and. <laughs> Funnily enough, this is what conversations sound like in our family, huh? What? Uh, what? <laughs> and um, it's me my ear trumpet. Yes, exactly. Then we'll all be Beethoven. Um, <laughs> but it, it's interesting because you know animals, you know, when they experience things like infrasound, they experience it so much differently than we do. Mostly because we can't hear it, and we mostly just feel it. But the the fascinating thing is. You know how how it affects them so much more drastically than us, and also I think it's interesting. Um, I know this about cats and a little bit about dogs that they have tremendous short term memory loss unless something is is constantly reinforced, right? So if if something super traumatic happens to them, you know, once right, they tend to forget about it. Like that time I tried to give my cat a bath, he's forgotten all about it, and all is forgiven. Um, but you know. It, it's interesting that if they do experience something that's just traumatic and it affects them for more than a day, that's tremendous. That is that is something to be to be noteworthy. So whatever whatever is happening, it's it's real, it's visceral, and and it's having a huge effect on you know. Obviously, it has an, an effect on us. You know, it's kind of easy to kind of just limit our scope um, to ourselves and how certain experiences affect us. Um, but when we see it affecting the world around us, I think that ultimately shakes us just as much, in my opinion. Well, with uh, five minutes to go, it probably isn't the time to bring this up. We may have to go into another show. But I mean, we always do anyway, so bring it up. <laughs> I, We do, yeah, all right, what the heck. Is uh, <clears throat> reaction? I'm glad you mentioned uh, your work in other areas of the paranormal, Linda, and uh, we're wondering, of course, uh, We've seen animal reactions to uh, what are believed to be what would be called ghost phenomena mm. or uh, parasitical attacks, you know, uh, quote-unquote demonic things. And uh, we're wondering how similar, uh, if at all, they would be to what we've been discussing on the show, uh, the presence of UFOs. Have you noticed in your work in other areas of the paranormal similar or the same reactions of animals to the, the stimuli? 
Um, yes, there, someone not too long ago sent me a picture of a, uh, their very brave German shepherd cowering under a desk. There had been some almost poltergeist type activity for several days and this dog was terrified by it. Um, there was also a case, it was probably my first, uh, paranormal investigation. It was this house that was built, uh, in the manner of a Scottish castle. It was quite the house. Perfect for your first ghost investigation. <laughs> and uh, the the owner's cat, every morning, wanted to go out in the backyard, and it would walk, it would go out the back door, go to the right, walk along, and follow the entire perimeter of the property, not do anything, but just walk the perimeter and come back in. And they couldn't understand this behavior. It was nothing they had seen before. And they were talking to the daughters of the man who built the house, very tall, silver-haired man. And she, they, they said every morning what he did, as soon as it was dawn, he'd go out the back door, turn to the right, walk the entire perimeter of his property, and, and come back in. So it was almost like the cat was seeing this, was following him along, certainly had no fear, but it seems to be beyond coincidence that this cat would just suddenly mimic this behavior independently at the same time of day every day. Yeah. Well, rather, uh, I suppose, counterpoint to that in a way, uh, the famous Bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974 um you know, and I'm one of the few living eyewitnesses to that today, uh, had a cat involved uh, called Sam, the cat who supposedly could talk. Now, I, I, I never believed that. I didn't. I saw the girl throw her voice, I think. But be that as it may, all this stuff is going around. At, at, at several points, this thing is literally tearing up the house, this poltergeist, and the cat is completely oblivious. Hmm. I mean, what's that, you know? Wow. So, uh, unless the cat was the agent, which I doubt. <laughs> and, uh, so I don't know, but it just, it does seem that, that there are, um, animals who just, uh, maybe just don't, don't get it. There was another one. Uh, I had a friend in England uh, many years ago who, uh, was from Yorkshire and sent me a picture of his son holding their new puppy. And the puppy was completely oblivious to uh, the, uh, an ethereal old woman standing next to the boy looking over his shoulder at the dog, who wasn't there, of course, when the picture was taken. And uh, the dog was completely oblivious. Of course, he told me later that, that the dog would literally fall asleep in the middle of the street and block up traffic and, you know, could care less. The police finally made him stop. But uh, so I guess there, there are uh, animals and there are animals. I mean, where they might be sensitive and otherwise they just maybe don't care or whatever. So So there you go. So what's your what's your next project? What are you working on? I am working on my magnum opus of Hudson Valley UFOs. Oh, cool. um, rather than write the fourth book on the topic, what I'm doing is combining the first three books and then adding all the new material I've gathered in the last several years. So it's going to be like a volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica, um, but I think it's important to put all of that material in one reference. And when I'm done with that, I'm going to do the same thing with consolidate my 14 uh, ghost books into one reference as well. Outstanding. 
Well, we'll be in touch. We always are. And uh, thank you for a fascinating conversation. And uh, we will uh, talk to you off the air. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Okay. Let's get to our announcements there, Ben, if you would. Yes. And we have a, a plethora of them. And we're going to start off with... In the wee hours of St. Patrick's Day this weekend, uh, my this dad... Wednesday. This Wednesday. I see a W, and I think weekend. No, <laughs> of course, it's coast to coast, so you're going to be there at f- 5 in the morning on a random day of the week. Yeah. And it's St. Patrick's Day this Wednesday. My dad will join George Nury on Coast to Coast AM to discuss his experiences with poltergeist exorcisms, his b- bizarre UFO video from the Pennsylvania Triangle, and much more. Uh, that's from 2 to 5 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Pacific, on hundreds of stations around the country, and on channel 146 on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, locally, uh, Coast to Coast airs on WRKO uh, in Boston, WHJJ, and WSNE uh, in Providence. Uh, Maine has lifted most COVID restrictions, so we're received, we received confirmation from organizer Tom Spitaleri that the in-person New England Parafest will take place as planned on April 10th and 11th at the Kittery Community Center in Kittery, Maine. Uh, I, or Ben and I, plan to be there both days, but we'll do a live broadcast of this show from there on Sunday, April 11th at noon. Uh, then we're scheduled to speak that afternoon at 3.15. Other speakers will include Shane Searway, Andy Kitt, Dennis Stone, Nomar Slevic, Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, Kristen Evans, Dave McCullough, Lynn Nickerson, Tom D'Agostino, and others you know from our lineup of guests. Check it out on Facebook, New England Parafest 2021. Yes, and uh, we're also working on our new book, Behind the Paranormal 3, Uneasy Skies. Also contributing will be our colleagues, uh, Shane Searway, Alexander Petikoff, and Valerie LaFasso. The uh, book will also contain the best of our interviews over the years with great researchers in the UFO field, as well as some of our own experiences. Uh, you can look for the book release toward the end of this year. And uh, Linda doesn't know it yet, but we're going to include her in there as well. Yeah, hop on uh, the bandwagon. With, with her permission. Uh, Check out our current books along with those of our other co-hosts at uh, our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. We will also find more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with some of our 900-plus, almost 1,000 recorded shows from our 12-plus, I should say, yeah, 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And we have reloaded shows, uh, recorded shows, I should be specific, into the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, back to 2009, uh, one more year, and a lot of special shows to go. Uh, my past, uh, our past shows, uh, back to 2000, late 2009, are also available on major podcast platforms, including YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, the Paranormal Radio app, from TalkStream Live, and more. So check out our charities page as well at BehindTheParanormal.com. A lot of charities. Uh, and we know the organizers, so we know that the money goes where it should. Mm-hmm. So what do we got for next week, Ben? Well, uh, well, we have uh, in the oven being prepared to pop out at piping <laughs> hot on March 21st. We will we have a long-awaited open line show, which we haven't done uh, in a couple of months, actually, joined by everyone's favorite guest co-host and ours as well, uh, Shane Searway, to answer questions from our listeners on all sorts of paranormal subjects. As long as the oven doesn't explode, we'll be all right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that is true. We do have to watch out for that. Right. Uh, we'll leave you today with a pungent comment from dear old Albert Einstein, and today is his 142nd birthday, I believe. Is it actually? Uh, no, I'm making that up, Ben. Well, no, I mean, no. 
No, it, it's true. It's true. Uh, quote, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used to create them, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.